we'll be done with the prayer and faith series by the end of next service. <clears throat> this was entitled Got Prayer. And um, so let's look to God in a word of prayer. <coughs> Blessed conquering Jehovah, Judge Emmanuel, the author and perfecter, we beseech thee for our journey's mercies and pouring out thy bountiful sustenance, wherefore anointing us with appropriation to the ends of the ages. Thy servants vicariously enjoined with the sovereignty and omnipotence and sanctification for, for the purposes of propitiation. And this is my prayer, O God, that I have impressed thee, O God, and that these here listening today will also be impressed. Okay, if you're not peeking yet, you should be. Man, that was a good one. He had all kinds of big words in that one. I was a little sacrilegious, a little blasphemous, and that was my point. What is prayer? Some say it's getting all the right words together and making sure that all the words are spoken just right and with the correct emphasis, emphasis, right? That's definitely going to get God on your side if you put it all together just right. Have you ever been to a prayer meeting and were put in a group of people who have been Christians for going on probably three or four lifetimes and... Um, they, they have seen it all, they've heard it all, and they can pray it all. They do their best to outpray each other. And sometimes, even in a small circle, they'll pray a second time just to be sure that their prayer was the best out of the group. When you get in groups like that, immediately the point is, if you were thinking about praying out loud, you might as well forget it. Because you don't have what it takes. You don't have the words. You don't have the structure. You don't have what it takes to impress God into doing what you want Him to do. Is that prayer? I think it's more sacrilegious and blasphemous. There's a book in the Bible that is monumental. It is God interacting with His people. He made sure it was in the book. It's 400 years of time where we learn exactly what the character of God is like. This book is about 100 chapters long and it represents, like I said, about 400 years of the Israelites' history and how God interacted with them. This book starts with a prayer. It's not of a king on a hill. It's not the most famous prophet or any prophet for that matter. Believe it or not, it's not even a Man, well, I thought women were supposed to be silent. I don't think God wanted to hear from them. No. Not only does God hear it, but he starts this era of time with it. He wrote it down. He put it in print. He asked for it to be in God's word. Go with me to the book I'm talking about. It's a book entitled 1 Samuel. If you're flipping from the beginning of your Bible, you'll start with Genesis, and then there's about six or seven others before you get to 1 Samuel. There's a chick flick in there, too. It's called Bruce. It's a cute little love story. 
But you'll get to the book of 1 Samuel. And these, these books were renamed. Um, this, this one after a guy that we're going to start with. Uh, but originally, these were 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th kings. 1st uh, Samuel came about later. Uh, they're about 400 years of time. And, and God wanted it in print. He said, this is how I want you to know who I am. And he starts with a prayer. But like I said, it's from one of the most unexpected experts. It's my favorite story in the whole book today. (laughs) Let me see your Bibles, by the way. Everybody got your Bibles? I don't care if it's an electronic version. Whatever it is, I want you to hold it up. Hold it up high so everybody can see it. Thank you for bringing your Bible. And I don't care if it's the electronic or, or the good old flappy kind. I, I love it. I absolutely love it that you bring your Bibles. And I almost sent out a, a, a text reminder today reminding you to bring your Bible. Because I think it's important to have our Bibles when we're in services. And uh, it's, it, I want you to be able to follow along. This book is something that's going to guide and lead every aspect of every part of our lives throughout our lives. And so bringing it here uh, to, to learn from it as we look at it. Uh, during the sermon, during the message, is a really good thing. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah, the region of Zeph, in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jer- Jer- Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and of, of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Bunch of weird words and bunch of weird places. What I want you to get here is this is where it starts. The guy lives up in the hills. It says in the hill country. He doesn't live down in the valleys in the cities. He lives in the hills, right? So this is a backwoods kind of redneck kind of a situation going on, all right? And there's some domestic dispute going on here too. Uh, So let's read on. Starting in verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. We're not told how many, but there were lots of them, evidently. One wife had lots and just popped out kids one right after another. Just wham, 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 right after another. Kind of like the Netajimes. <laughs> Did you hear about the good news? Yeah. Yeah, Thomas says you're pregnant. Super good. Uh, so anyway, but Hannah was not. She was not able to have children. You may have heard this story a million times. You may have heard this story dozens of times. I don't care how many. This may be the first time you've heard it. Listen to what happens. Because the Lord had closed her womb, verse 6, Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Can't you see Elkanah? Big backwoods kind of guy. And he, he comes, across, comes over to Hannah and pats her on the back and says, Aren't I good enough, Hannah? 
Aren't I good, as good as ten sons? Well, didn't quite cut it. It seems like somehow at home it wasn't as bad. Hannah had her own space at the house and, and it was up in the hills and she, she knew that Elkanah loved her. Behind closed doors she was, she was loved. Of course, Hannah was able to compartmentalize the situation when she was at home. There was always Penn and his kids making noise out in the yard, but Hannah was able to keep to herself at home. But when they would make their way into the city to celebrate and offer sacrifices, it was tough. She would feel it. Everyone would ask her, where's your children? Walking on the road in the midst of a crowd, that's where she felt the most alone. The festival time was the most difficult. Elkanah tried to console her with his words, but she was still without. Let's read on. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 9. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In, his, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. This prayer sounds fine if you, if you know what happens at the end of the story. But if, if we were just to stop right here, this prayer is not one of a spiritual giant. This isn't a prayer for her enemies. This isn't a prayer for anyone but herself. She's in a bad spot. It's kind of like a, a foxhole prayer, a, poor, a prayer prayed in a very tough spot. It's an if-then prayer. God, if, if you will do this, then I will do this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Now be honest and shake your head yes. Because I know that there are times when we pray prayers like that. Even if it's to some degree, right? God, if, if you will just do this for me right now, I will do this or that or whatever. The somewhat empty promise follows the selfish request. God, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. She goes extreme with this promise. Because oftentimes in the Old Testament, the Nazarite vow was for a 30 or 60 or 90 or a year's time. This was not a set time. This was all his days. God, I'm going to give you my son all his days. Let's read on in verse 12. Look at it. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Hmm. There are some people I wish that things would come for their heart and their mouth would move and nothing would come out. <laughs> but in other cases, I understand what's going on here. I get it. She was misunderstood. 
Eli the priest is thinking she's gotten a little too much to drink. It happened often in this day and age. She's not acting like the rest of the folks. This, this lady's a little out of sorts. She doesn't need to be doing this in the temple. Have you ever been there? I hope not literally. I hope you don't literally come to church drunk. <coughs> but just misunderstood by most. Have you ever felt that? Maybe just not measuring up to the whole religious competition that often goes on among religious people. I hope that's not happening here. But I'm sure you felt out of place at times and felt misunderstood. God says, that's good Bible. Print that. Put that in the book. Because that's good Bible. 400 years, 100 chapters of God telling his story starts with this. It starts with a prayer of a backwoods, redneck, domestic dispute woman who is just pouring out her heart to God. Look at verse 15. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my heart and soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face no longer was downcast. She was hangry no longer. That's not part of the Hebrew. It's part of the Lloyd brew, but not the Hebrew. A woman who doesn't have the prayer of a spiritual giant. This isn't any prayer like ones we've heard. Maybe even like ones we've prayed. I've never been taught to pray like this. It wasn't about her enemies. It wasn't about her asking God to help her be content with her circumstances. It was a selfish prayer. A crazy backwoods, redneck type woman in a, in a domestic dispute with her husband. Hannah thinks she has the right to pray to an almighty God. And God says, print it. That's good Bible. She was simply pouring out her heart and soul to the Lord. That's where prayer starts. And that's where God starts. With telling this story that lasted the next 400 years for the people of Israel. Not from a king. Not from a prophet. Not from royalty. This is where history begins. A backwoods redneck woman named Hannah. She's even a palindrome. Do you know what that is? A palindrome, you spell it forwards or backwards, right? She joins greats like Stanley Yelnats. Have you ever seen that movie? Holes. It's a Disney movie called Holes. His name is Stanley Yelnats, and if you spell Stanley backwards, it's his last name, Yelnats. Joins greats like Stanley and Bob and 
words like race car and level and rotor and radar and kayak. She's a palindrome, but her prayer is heard. Speaking of heard, do you know what I heard? my kids aren't answering. Do you know what I heard? Sheep. Sorry. First Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19. Let's carry on. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. The word Samuel, the name Samuel means asked for from God. Samuel walks his people back to God. He was a great prophet. He walked them through the kings or through part of the kings and um, did a great job. All because of a backwoods crazy woman thinks God cares about her little problem. God says print it. That's good Bible. I like that story. But if you think that's good, look at this next one. If, if unexpected expert, unlikely source number one doesn't work for you, look at this next one. We're going to go to the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. You may have heard this story a million times, a dozen times, or it may be your first time today. Check in on this one. We learned some great things from this one. Matthew 15, in verse, starting in verse 21. It says, leaving the palace or leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This is not some lady pouring out her heart in the temple. 1,100 years has passed since Hannah, and Jesus is, a rep- is, is the representative of who God is now. The story of the old book, and, but this one, the, the last one was a story in the old book, and this one is a story in the new book. The old one described the kind of character God has. Now, it's the Son of God. God in the flesh. God says, if you want to know who I am, watch him. What's Jesus doing outside of Jewish territory? Tyre and Sidon were a little over 50 miles outside of Jewish territory. He's stepped across the line. He's gone outside the border. He's gone over the Great Wall. He's outside of Jewish territory. What's he doing out there? This is the only time in recorded history that Jesus makes it outside of Jewish territory. His entire life was lived in an area of about 120 miles by about 40 miles. That was the Jewish area. So picture North Fort Collins to South Colorado Springs from the Continental Divide to I-25. All right, That's basically the area in which Jesus spent his entire life, except for this time. These people have heard these stories. The stories have made it outside of Jewish territory. 
they've made it up as far as Tyre and Sidon. I'm sure they made it farther than that, but in this particular case, this woman knew that something was interesting and something was strange about this individual. She had heard stories of blind people being able to see. She had heard stories of leprous people being healed. She had heard stories of dead people being raised from the dead. So here she comes crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. This prayer is not about her. This prayer is about her daughter. As a dad with two little girls, he got my attention. This one tugs at me. This woman cares about her daughter. She's been going through tumultuous times. This is just me. The Bible doesn't say anything about this, but I think the man in this family ran out a long time ago in this situation. If he is around still, he's spineless and he's, he's tapped out in every other way. Because we don't hear anything about this young girl's dad. It's her mother that is reaching out to God for help. Side note, just for a second. This, this one's for free. Guys, when the going gets tough, don't let your wives deal with it. Guys, are you listening to me? Don't make her go to God on the behalf of the whole family. Step it up. Man up enough to bring the family's concerns to God. Don't make your wife do it. I'm not saying women should pray. But I'm saying I feel like there's a lot of men who have dropped the ball. I think we as men have dropped the ball. We way too often allow our wives to pick it up. We need to be men of prayer. We don't know how long this woman's heart has been breaking because of this little girl's condition. But for a Gentile, a woman Gentile, to approach a famous Jewish rabbi was almost unheard of. It's just not something that was okay. Evidently, this woman was in deep need. There's a real churchy word out there. It's called intercessory prayer. It's simply this taking someone else's needs and making them your own. This woman took her daughter's needs and brought them to an almighty God. Such a bright light on the greatness of this whole Christianity deal. The disciples didn't say anything about trying to help this woman. They're just concerned about how annoying she is. Son of David, son of David. She just keeps getting annoying and they just keep getting tired of her. I didn't get this story in, in, in Sunday school. And they didn't say things like, uh, Today, boys and girls, we're going to learn about the rudeness of Jesus. What would Jesus do? You ever seen that? WWJD? They didn't go to this story when they were talking about that. Because look at it. It gets pretty crazy. Matthew chapter 15, look at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for he, she keeps crying out after us. Evidently, this wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just a, she sat on the side of the road and they walked by and she hollered at him. Evidently, she kept hollering and kept pursuing Jesus and the disciples. 
Jesus, do something, they said. Respond in some way, shape, or form. Either tell her she doesn't have enough faith or, or do something. We're just getting tired of this lady. <coughs> Look at verse 24. It gets worse. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What? Then it keeps going. Look at 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. This must be the wrong Jesus. This must be the Jesus of the Netherlands, not, the, not Jesus of Nazareth. Because what in the world is going on here? This is not something that... Jesus does. No, this is him. And if your Bible has red letters, it's in red letters. Jesus said it. He uses, an, at the time, a racial and very controversial phrase and lets her know that she is not the reason he is here. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. A Gentile woman outside of Jewish territory did not deserve a rabbi's attention. And Jesus was making it very clear. At this point, it's probably a good thing her husband isn't with them. Because Jesus might have died of our, uh, for our sins a little earlier and probably not on a cross. This, this is not something that was taken lightly at the time bit of a word picture that everyone understood it's articulate it was a it was a boulder it wasn't a pebble this landed hard but look at what she does is she offended by Jesus's words and does she go running off in the distance and tell everyone that she knows that Jesus is a bad guy no look what she does Verse 27, yes, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very moment. God says, print it. That's good Bible. Okay, the end turned out good, but can you explain to me the mean Jesus for the first four verses? Well, maybe it was just because he was having a bad day. You know, he had, he had traveled at least 50 miles that day, or in the, in the few days that he was on his way up there, so maybe he was just having a bad day. She was talking to Jesus... Who is also known as who? Jesus is the son of God, right? So if she's talking to God, what uh, we call that what? We call it prayer. Did anyone ever tell you to pray like this? To cry out and cry out until God gets sick of you and tells you to go away? Then you should just continue to cry out? Then he will call you a name, but... 
but just keep crying out, then you will get what you want. Is that how God works? Hold on a second. I don't get this. This doesn't make any sense to me. To understand what's going on here in verses, the verses that we just read in this story, we really need to go back in chapter 15 to the beginning of the chapter. Flip back there with me for just a second, and I'm not going to read through the whole chapter right now, but I want you to look at it later on. Look at it sometime this week. The entire chapter, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and they're all bent out of shape about what's clean and what's unclean, right? He's trying to explain that it's, it's not what goes into a person that makes them clean or unclean. It's, what, it's what's within. It's what's in the heart that matters. Clean and unclean. He goes back and forth with them. Then he goes on and moves right into the unclean. He crosses the border. He goes outside of Jewish territory, crosses the border, and goes into the unclean. He goes into the Gentiles. And what does he find there? A heart of gold. That's why it's printed. That's why it's put in the Bible. Jesus only gives this title and this reference to one other person in the whole entire Bible. Your faith is exceedingly great, he tells the woman. Exceedingly great. It's not about the outside, he says. That's whitewashed tombs. It's inside that's dead. That's the problem. This woman was alive on the inside. She had faith in the power of Jesus Christ. When we really look at it, what is prayer? It's not about saying all the right words. It's not a competition to sound the best. It's not about having the right posture or structure in our prayer. When I read these two stories, when I study these two stories, when I read them, I look at them, when I dive into them, I find three ingredients. The first one is persistency. Why? I don't know. Why does God ask us to be persistent? Why can't he just answer every single one right when we ask? Maybe it's just it's because God wants us to get, get it through our heads that God is over prayer, not the other way around. It's not prayer is over God. He wants us to get that through our heads. Formulas and all the right words is not going to win him over to your way of thinking. Persistency is God showing that he is in control. Prayer is about your relationship, not how you control God. Prayer is about your relationship with God, not how you control him. Prayer can change the world, but we have to let it change us first. And that's what persistency does. Secondly, I see an ingredient of brokenness. Ask yourself, how many of my prayers, how much of my prayer life involves brokenness? You might be more of a name it and claim it type prayer, a blab it and grab it kind of prayer. How much of the religious world is teaching that, that God's got promises and if you get your prayer life where it needs to be and have the right amount of faith all lumped into one big sum and you throw it all in one direction, in the right words, with the right structure, God's going to give you what you want. He's going to get you all those promises. If, if your mojo is just right, you're going to have it all just the way you want it. There's brokenness in these prayers. 
The persistency is followed by brokenness. Hannah was broken. She pours her heart out to God. The Canaanite woman was broken. She was in a bad spot. She was in a tough place. And she cared about her daughter. And the third ingredient is surrender. Hannah said, he's all yours. I'm giving him completely to you. Then the Gentile dog gets on her knees and says, yes, Lord, I'm all yours. It's not Christianese. It's not religious. Just persistent, broken, and surrendered. Those are the three ingredients that I see from those stories. Now let's shift gears and go into some some essential elements to talking to dad. We're going to cruise through these. And uh, there's a lot of verses here. And I I really hope that you you take your bulletin home and you you look up these passages of Scripture later on this week. We don't have time to hit every single one of them. It doesn't matter where you are with this whole praying thing. It doesn't doesn't matter if you're the most amazing prayer in the world. If you've been praying for 65,000 years or 50 or whatever. Maybe you've never prayed once in your life. Today you're saying, you know what? Maybe I should start praying. These are some essential elements to talking with Dad. Number one, we have to be on good terms. There's got to be some obedience in our lives. There's got to be something that we are doing for God, that we are doing in His, within His will. We have to be on good terms. It's like Colton pestering his sisters, just terrorizing them. He's never done that, but just say he did. And he's just terrorizing them and being obnoxious to Cameron and being mean to Castlin and Corbin and talking back to his mom and yelling at his mom. And then he comes in and he says, Dad, there's a really cool Nerf gun at Walmart. Do you think we can go get it? What? Right after I drop kick you off the back porch? Are you kidding me? Prayer isn't a tool to get what you want. Prayer is a tool to get us to where God wants us. If we're going to be talking to God, a key element, a key ingredient, an essential element is to be on good terms with God. We have to be on good terms. Secondly, we just can't, we just got to come with what we have. Don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to intimidate God or don't try to, uh, to do something that's, that's extraordinary to get his attention. Just get it out. It doesn't matter what it sounds like. If you're a dad or a mom or maybe even a grandparent or maybe you just hang out with kids once in a while, it's amazing how much craziness we have to listen to, right? And maybe it's just coworkers because sometimes adults are the same way. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. You ever have a hard time concentrating on what somebody is saying? We sit down at the dinner table and Castlin will start a story. And literally, because the older ones interrupt her over and over and over again, it takes her an entire meal to tell me what normally would take about 10 seconds. The other night, I finally told her. I said, Castlin, you just have to keep talking. 
You just have to keep talking because I'm listening. I'm tuned in. I've got what you're saying. I'm getting you. I'm following you. Even if I'm not looking at your eyes and, and, you know, I'm doing something else, understand that I'm listening and I understand what you're going through. I understand what you're saying. Don't bother starting over. I'll hear every word if you just keep on talking. I think God's the same way with me. I start in on something in the morning and I'm praying one simple thought all day long. And he's going, did it really take you all day to get that out? We need to be on good terms and we just need to come with what we've got. If she comes from the hill country in a domestic dispute and she's pouring out her heart, if she's telling a story that takes all of dinner to get out, God is listening. To show the religious community what clean and unclean is, watch this woman. Even if she doesn't have all the right words, even if she's not from the right side of the tracks, she doesn't care about the name calling. She doesn't care about the titles. She will drop to her knees and call him Lord. That's where a daughter's life is changed forever. Just come with what you have. Be on good terms. Just come with what you have. And third, the right heart is more important than the right words. There are no perfect phrases. There are no perfect sayings. You don't have to start with dear father in heaven. And you don't have to end with amen. You know, some people think you have to end with amen. And if you don't say amen, then it kind of leaves a line open with God that some of the rest of us could probably use. That's not the way it is. God's got plenty of lines. It's like any relationship. The longer the journey, the more comfortable you get. You remember those first times, those first interactions with your spouse? Guys, you remember those first times that you, were, you, you saw your spouse and you, 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 you knew for sure that you liked her? And you played the conversations over and over and over and over and over in your head. What am I going to say? How am I going to respond to her? How am I going to say what I want to say? It took me like an hour and a half to propose to her. All it was is, Carol, will you marry me? But it took me an hour and a half to get those words out. We sat out there freezing to death, February 14th, freezing to death. It was getting close to midnight, so I knew I had to hurry, but I had to get those words out. They were so awkward. That first time you hold hands, remember that? The first time you held hands? And you were like looking for an excuse to wipe off the clammy sweat and stuff because you knew it was getting gross. How about kissing for the first time? You lean in, take a kiss, and do, do you lean your head to the right or to the left? I mean, if you just go straight out, you bonk noses. You, you know you will. So which way do you go? And it's really hard if your wife doesn't know her left from her right because then, well, maybe that doesn't matter, but... It's different now. We talk without saying anything. I just know. And, and she just knows. The right heart is more important than the right words. Don't try to be something you're not. It's not a perfect heart we're looking for either. God just wants an honest heart. The right heart is more important than the right words. Be on good terms. Come with what you have. Be, being right is better than sounding right. 
And fourthly, it's knowing both who we are and whose we are. It's kind of a combination of humility with faith. It's, it's humility to know who you are and it's faith to know who he is and whose we, who's we are. Don't land too much in the extreme humility or too much on the extreme faith. We've got to have a little bit of mix. It's like this. God, God, I'm a sinner. I know my past. I know what I've done. I, I don't measure up. I know my current limitations. I know the thoughts I have, God, that I fight within my head all the time. God, I, I know I'm a sinner and I don't deserve to have you listen to me. True, 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 and true. Right? It's not the humility that says God doesn't care about me and God won't listen and you're not the type of person that he's interested in. False, 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 false. Do you get the picture? Our humility can't be too far in the extreme where we're not thinking we're worth anything because we are. God did some amazing things for us. Therefore, it makes us worthwhile. It doesn't matter how it sounds. And in spite of of who I am I'm about who I belong to doesn't have to be articulate it can be it can be complete babbling through tears God's going to get it he's going to understand it all of mine all my kids require a bit of interpretation Castlin sounds different than Cameron does and Corbin is drastically different from, from Colton but I get them. I get all of them and I understand them. I'm a my child whisperer, if you want to say it that way. God is too. He gets you. He knows who you are. And he knows that you belong to him. He gets you. You don't have to have any value of your own because God's given you value and there's lots of it. Come with what you've got. Be on good terms to begin with. Be right. Being right is better than sounding right. And knowing who you are and whose you are makes a big difference when you're talking to dad. I posted this saying on, on Facebook earlier this week. I've, it's written in every single one of my Bibles. And love does flies on the floor really well. I want you to take this statement. I want you to take this phrase. And I want you to do something with it. Whether you write it in your Bible. Whether you put it on a post-it note. Whether you, uh, whatever you do with it. Put it on your screensaver. Do something with it. Repost it on Facebook. Tweet it out. Whatever, whatever you guys do. Use this, pass- or use this phrase. Prayerlessness is sometimes our greatest sin. Because of what it says about who I think is really in charge. Don't pray to God this week. Don't, have, don't think that you have to start with all of the right words and have all of the right structure and have all of the right phrases. And don't think you have to pull all of those things all together in one nice little clean tight prayer. Just start having conversations with God. Just start talking to Him like He's standing next to you. Start talking to Him like you would your best friend. And you know what? 
prayer becomes a lot more comfortable. We become, uh, uh, we become unlikely experts in prayer if we'll just do it. Just have normal everyday conversations with him because we are unexpected experts. Just like Hannah and just like the Canaanite woman. Pouring our lives out, pouring our hearts out to God. Whether it be something monumental or something silly and trivial. Either way, let's talk to God about it. Wouldn't it be weird if your spouse or your best friend came home or came and saw you from a long distance away and hadn't been with you for a while and then all of a sudden was with you and they just had nothing to share with you? And it just kept happening over and over and over again. Monday, they came home and they just didn't want to talk. And Tuesday and Wednesday. And then for like weeks on end, this happened. What would happen to that friendship? What would happen to that relationship? Would there be one? There wouldn't be one. And I think as Christians, as people in this congregation... I think we can take our level of prayer in an upward fashion. I think we can increase the amount of time and the amount of effort and amount of energy we put in to our relationship with God. Don't you? I think we have some work to do. I think we have some room for growth here. It's a growth area. Let's work on it. God's message, your move. Be like Hannah. Be like the Canaanite woman. Get God's attention. Pour your heart out to God. And remember these key essentials, these essential ingredients to, to getting God's attention, to talking to Him. Got prayer? I hope so. And uh, I think it's good that we can talk to God. Let's do that this week. Thank you for your attention. And um, thank you for uh, spending a few minutes with us. And um, <clears throat>